Hello and welcome to Comic Book Herald Interviews. I'm Dave Using, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. Today, I'm welcoming writer Victor Laval. We're excited to be talking today about Sabretooth, X-Men line of comics, Sabretooth and the Exiles, which is the first issue came out this week as of the recording. Of course, we'll touch on Eve, Destroyer, novels like Devil and Silver and the Changeling, and, and a fantastic writing career. Victor, you are officially the first return guest I've had on uh, on CBH interviews. You were you were the twenty second interview yes. way back in in twenty twenty, and we got to talk about Destroyer in detail. And now That's you're back right. for Sabretooth. I've I've steadfastly avoided having return guests, but for Sabretooth and for the work, I was like, we <laughs> well, got to do it. In honor of Sabretooth, I suppose. <laughs> uh, but you know, but it is funny to think. I was thinking about uh, that when we'd spoken then and. Number one, that I appreciated that you were interested then when it was this independent comic and I wasn't doing comics in any real way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was like a, uh, I, at that time, I had appreciated very much the interest, you know, and like, uh, um, and, and all that. And so when you said, like, can we get back together? I was like, yes, absolutely. It was a great conversation before. I enjoyed the channel a lot. And then uh, also, it felt fun to think about even like, oh, back then it was like, destroyer just destroyer and then thinking about you know like the beauty of things growing and changing yeah no for i went back and i listened to like the first 15 minutes which is you know again like i said like i I haven't done return guests so i haven't really had the chance to do that and it was funny because one just changes obviously right like it's been two years i've done a lot of these um but then the other thing was i was asking you a lot of questions that were like so you're a novelist and now you're writing a comic and it was (laughs) whereas now it's like you're doing you're doing tons of comics you got you got lots going on yeah but yeah and it also was a feeling like so you're from the moon how is it being on mars (laughs) yeah right right. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's good to see you doing both. So, all right, so let's let's dig into Sabretooth a little bit because this is one of my favorite comics of 2022. Um, for folks who haven't read it, you know, we'll include it in the show notes, but certainly I think if you follow a lot of the stuff I do on CBH, obviously I talk X-Men a lot. And it's not only one of my favorite X-Men books, one of my favorite Marvel books, just straight up one of my favorite comic books of the year. So I'm, I loved it. I'm promoting it to everyone, and I'm super excited to see it back with the Exiles, you know, in the, in the continuation of these minis. Um, let's, let's start here. Uh, What's your role and involvement with the X office, right? They've got this whole big Krakoa experiment. There's a real community aspect to it that's been pushed. Um, you're brought in to do these series of minis. Kind of how do you get connected with everyone? And and how like connected are you in terms of the, the interconnected storytelling that they're doing? Right. Uh, well, so I uh, came in thanks to my buddy, uh, uh, Ben Percy. Um, he just kind of reached out one day, you know, obviously he's doing both Wolverine and X-Force. Um, and he'd reached out, uh, mostly just saying like, hey, you know, so I guess this must have been two years ago, really, uh, saying, hey, you know, the uh, if you've been reading the latest round of Hox Pox stuff, and I had been already, I was already a fan, uh, he said, uh, do you ever have any pitches? Uh, if you ever have anything, let me know. I could put you in touch with Jordan um, and Jonathan and go from there. And I really, the only pitch I had was for Sabretooth. Uh, that was the only person, the only character I thought I would want to write, or the only one I had an idea about that felt like very formed almost right away. Mm. And uh, that it was tied to prison, questions about prison and also about, I really actually leaned into and liked that it was the worst human being on earth. Uh, and how could you tell a story about that person without doing the, oh, but really, he deep down, he's nice mm, mm-hmm. kind of thing. I really didn't want to do that. And so uh, he said, okay, I'll put you in touch. I had a meeting with uh, uh, Jonathan and Jordan, and I gave them my very broad outline of what what might happen, you know. Um, and then uh, they had some nice back and forth. I'd had an idea for like, one or two extra mutants down there. And then they said, how about a couple more? You know, so you have room for story to grow and yeah. all the rest. Um, and uh, and that was exciting. And then they said, well, why don't we do this first mini? Like really essentially, why don't we just get Sabretooth out of the pit? And then we'll see if people like it or not. Um, and then uh, even as we were moving through it, they were liking it. It was kind of uh, a nice vote of confidence. Uh, they were liking it enough that they said, well, Let's 
let's think about, let's plan for, unless it's, I guess, a total bomb, uh, what would happen once they're out? Yeah. And where would it go? And that was kind of the, the path of it. As far as my role, so in the, like, when I first joined in, I would say for the first, I don't know what it must have been, three to six months, I was on the meetings every two, it's like every two weeks to Slack, the, the, the group meets, and then we have a Slack, and everybody's constantly in communication there. Um, and so I was a part of that, those meetings every two weeks, I was on the Slack, we were communicating, and for me, the best part of that was, uh, like, I got to see the real big plans of, like, you know, the, for lack of better terms, like, the, the heavy hitters, the people doing the regular runs, you know, so, like, uh, Jonathan, Vita, Al, um, Jerry, uh Leah was doing X uh, Factor at that point, so that, and that was a regular. Um, mm-hmm. And um, and then Kieran hadn't... He was just starting the same time as me, but it was clear he was also going to be writing a big story, you know. Um, Zeb was on his way out, so I was just catching the tail end of Hellions. Um, and uh, Teeny was there, of course, obviously doing the Excalibur thing. So I, the fun for me was seeing what everyone was doing, and then in a way... The blessing I got was that I didn't actually have to sort of weave into those big stories because they were really int- uh, intricate and had th- that planning was going on long before I showed up, you know. Yeah. Um, and so I couldn't show up and be like, hey, how about if uh, Sabretooth just beheads uh, uh, Scott Summers? And right. then, you know, I, I, I couldn't just throw all that in. But in a way, that was actually a gift. Because being in the pit, being sort of separated from everyone else, um, actually allowed me a ton of freedom. Um, so, like, the really, in the end, the only way I really uh, sort of got woven in was that I tried to make sure that you could see the ways that my comic was catching up to the real right. events when we would pop up. But I, I, had a quite, I had quite a bit of, like, leeway. Yeah, you know? yeah. It, uh, and I appreciated that. For sure. No, and it does, it is, I mean, so consistently, it seems like a lot of the big two stuff, when there is that freedom to sort of roam, it winds up producing a lot of the best material. Um, You see this throughout the history of both Marvel and DC. I did enjoy too, like, it was kind of nice because we've gotten just so much has happened in the world and it just time feels like, you know, so, so compressed, but then simultaneously, like it's been a million years, Um, getting to kind of go back in the oh, this is right after Hoxpox moment, and then kind of progress through what has happened timeline-wise was kind of a nice, like, refresher. And and honestly, like, because the Sabretooth beat was so big, and it's, I mean, it's how the series ends, effectively, right. um, is with this, like, absurdly torturous <laughs> sentencing yeah. that Sabretooth is given where it's clearly like, okay, that's, that's a lingering thread that's coming back. Like you don't do something like that and just not address it. Um, it, it was cool to go back and be like, all right, we're, we're getting it. Here's the moment. And then, you know, I think the, the book lives up to it, which is, which is exciting. So you mentioned, there's a couple things there in the, just in the pitch stage that I want to address. You mentioned, um, and I think you talked about in an interview that like, one of the initially your pitch was like we're gonna have one additional person sent to the pit because that's the big and like spoilers for for Sabretooth certainly like if you haven't read it I recommend you do so and then come on back and check this out um you mentioned initially that like all right the big twist at the end of issue one is these five additional exiles show up right they're exiled to the pit and that's kind of a surprise because we don't know really who's been sent at that point and one you're initially you were like it was gonna just be Melter (laughs) yes why why Melter why was that the first pick uh, well, you know, so the original way I was going to take it was almost because Melter in his previous uh, runs is on the like knife edge between hero and villain. Like he wants to be a hero, but he keeps doing villainous things. And so I'd thought of it along the lines of like, well, what if you just watch Sabretooth like turn him and that Melter's power, as much as he's kind of treated like a joke, I think is actually a profoundly powerful power right like he can literally melt anything mm-hmm. he kills people left and right like uh i so to so my thinking was it was like uh, i don't know if you at all uh have ever read a novella by stephen king called uh, apt pupil no um and it's a it's a wonderful novella uh spoilers 
but it's basically about a uh, a retired like a Nazi who escaped Germany. There's a teenage boy in the neighborhood who's who's really sort of like interested in this uh, like reclusive weird old man. They start to form a bond, and uh, and you think like the horror is this man used to be a Nazi. Uh, and now he's hiding out among us. But then what actually becomes the horror is he starts telling stories to the kid about what they did. Mm. And the kid likes it. Mm. And the kid is interested in it. And then by the end of the novella, the Nazi has essentially turned this kid into a living weapon. And then he goes and does his thing, right? And so that was, it was a kind of an apt pupil kind of thing where it was going to be like, obviously Melter wouldn't deserve whatever he got right probably yeah um, but say but his time in the pit Sabretooth would have turned him and then when he returns to the surface he's Sabretooth's great weapon and then like in that path it would have been the danger mm. would be like he he melts the entire quiet council or something like that as like a last act of whatever and throws everything in disarray, blah, 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 right? Yeah, But yeah. since I'm not in charge of the X office, I can't melt the entire Quiet Council. <laughs> yeah. Right? Um, and, uh, and so, and more importantly, that's one story over five issues. Even if you went that way, you can't fill five issues with that, you know? It's just not enough, right? Like, you go, oh, is he bad yet? Is he not bad yet? But, you know, like that. Um, so as we were talking, they were saying, like, well, what if you expanded it? What if you had, like, a broader swath of mutants? And then I was like, well, then I could play with this idea of temptation, say, uh, Sabretooth as Satan. Mm -hmm. Can he turn people, blah, blah, blah. And then they said, okay. And they said, who would you like to use? And then I was like, oh, here's some people that no one uses. Yeah. You know, and then one guy I'd like to make up. Uh, it was originally going to be two, but then it started to get like I was going to create two characters, but it started to get a little too unwieldy. Mm. Um, uh, so I'd like to save her someday. I would love to introduce this other mutant if I can. Um, uh, but uh, so then, but then once I started, once I had five mutants, I realized it's not as simple as just Sabretooth and one person temptation. It starts to become about all these people dealing with like. Um, Surviving Sabretooth, but also surviving the quote-unquote justice system right. of Krakoa. Right. And it became, to my mind, like a more interesting book than the original, you know, just Melter as a weapon. And also, I have to be honest, like the hard part too is, would readers stick around to see if Melter was turned? Right. Right. I don't, I really don't know. You know, I, I, I have my dad, with, with hindsight, I feel pretty sure they wouldn't. You know, it'd be yeah. like, well, that was interesting, I guess, but melt, you know, it would be different if it was like Nightcrawler. Could you, could you turn Nightcrawler? Then you say, right. oh, that could be fun, you know. Right. Uh, but Chris Colton Then you got the whole is, God versus the devil religious element yes. certainly get, get heightened in that scenario. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's interesting. But then you also bring in people's like uh, deeper, you know, like if I did find a way to turn Kurt evil, oof, I just can't imagine how many feelings would be hurt. <laughs> right. Yeah. No. As a, as a huge Nightcrawler fan, I'm already like a little on edge. I'm already a little <laughs> yes, nervous. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like, Nightcrawler would, Kurt, Kurt would never do that. Yeah. yeah. Whatever it is. Right. Like, All right. I know. I know. Yeah. Well, it is. I mean, that is the fun thing about everyone you, you pick here with the exiles, yeah. right? Necra, Oya, um, uh, you have a huge role for mole, certainly, yes. right, in this book. You know, but it's all these, it's all the, and then, you know, uh, Third Eye, right, is a new character creation yeah. who's super interesting, right? It's all these players. I guess Madison Jeffries, like, has had a role over the past decade. Yeah, but he's an oddball, you know? Yes. And it's, uh, it's all these players where it's like, yeah, you can kind of, you can, like, do whatever you want with them, I think, in terms yeah. of fandom. I'm sure editorially there's more freedom. Um, yes. But then also it's like, you know, something like Necker in particular, like, this is a character in in dire need of of yes. change and, and so. rehabilitation yeah yes. right like that yes. is a that is a rough even for 
like 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 some stories are out of touch and you can tell they're you know they're the well-intentioned out of touchness um but necro is one of those where it's like somebody should have been in the room to say just what were you thinking this is a bad idea yeah yes um so it's it's cool to see that character and it's like in exiles like the relationship that was built between necro and oya now to the point yes. where they're talking about influences and, yes. and reading. It's cool to see that develop and be like, oh, this is like, this is a real person now. This is a character. Yeah. You know? I'm, I I can't tell you, like, uh, I've certainly, I've, I have felt uh, incredibly happy with, for the positive reception for the the previous mini and for this one and uh, various characters and all the rest. But uh, I have so loved writing Necra and Oya. And that was definitely not my original intent uh, like I wasn't thinking ahead, like the two of them will become these revolutionary sisters and blah, 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 blah. But yeah. it just started to build that way. And the more it built, the more fun I was having with them. And um, and then I think in Oya's case, while she isn't used as much as she could be, I think almost universally she's loved. Yeah. Right. Like uh, everybody loves her. So it felt like, okay, she doesn't need rehabilitation. She just needs more uh, panel time, right? Just right. to see her out in the world more. Right. But Necra, I felt like, um, number one, there's the horrible origin story. And then number two, that even when she's been used in not every case, but in many cases in the past, it's as this sort of bombshell weirdo acolyte of like Grim Reaper and all like yeah. Mandrill it's, uh, or Mandrake. Is it Mandrill or Mandrake? I, Mandrill. Ma- Mandrill, yeah. Mandrake is, is, the, is the magician. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that even there, like, what also offended me was, like, you gave her this awful story and she can't even be the lead in her own <laughs> yeah, stories, right. you know? Yeah. Um, and so I was into that. And then uh, and then if I'm also honest, I felt like the other thing that was almost never uh, done with her was, like, she was never written as a black character, right? She was, the fact that she was uh, albino or whatever, um, it was treated like she's just, I don't know, Maybe the most they just called her like a, a crazy witch or something like that. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, and I felt like that was another way that I said like I know for sure the spectrum of blackness is quite broad, mm-hmm. and that Oya, Third Eye, and Necra are all black characters. And then you throw in Bling and all the and I said I'm just throwing them all in. And again, as you say, like because none of them is a top tier or even mid tier character yeah i did have a ton of freedom to remake them in any way i i really kind of wanted um and yeah i I feel really happy with necra and oya as like i just can't i always think of it as like an auntie and a niece who are always uh and uh the the auntie is tough the niece is sweet and they balance each other out yeah in this beautiful way yeah I mean, I think Oya was probably like, so you see all, you see these characters show up in the pit and the first thought is like, well, what did they do? And you yeah. talk about this, you know, right? Like that's a, yeah. that's a human reaction to like, you see someone going to prison, right? And it's like, oh, what did they do to justify, you know, yes. that, that sentencing? Um, and Oya, I think was for sure for readers who are familiar with that character and have seen her like as the sweetest kid who like befriends Brew, you know, and Wolverine and the X-Men and stuff like, and like is like without prejudice. Um, it was like, oh, that's what? Like, what did, what could she have done? Um, and then increasingly as you see sort of like, oh, like she's really close with Necro. It was kind of like, oh, well, <laughs> like she's under her wing. I can, I can see it going that direction more. Um, but that's been a, a really fun relationship that I'm super invested in now. And it is, you're tapping into it in, in Exiles, this first issue here. There's a meta commentary going on that is, I think, super like just like comic fans just kind of intuitively understand this, which is you have your heroes of the day and you have their story, especially in X-Men comics. This is all the mutants that we don't talk about. Right. This is all the mutants. And it's I think it's one of the most untapped, underserved things in the Krakoa era, which I think a lot of writers are playing with. But like this book is so centrally fixated on it, which is, okay. but what about everyone else? What about everyone else who's living in this world and society and then mole kind of becomes our like our our claremont era kitty pride right right? in terms of like this is our pov this is just the the average joe who can't get an audience with the quiet council right and and what happens to them uh one question how close did you come to putting changeling in the pit just for the branding of it 
<laughs> I, I didn't. Uh, I, I, I didn't. Uh, I didn't give into that temptation. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> still a possibility. Shapeshifter. But so still, like, you never know. Yeah. You never know. Yeah. yeah. But you know, I do. I do want to like uh, uh, sort of underscore your point. Like I'm one of the other lucky things about the saber tooth being in this saber tooth mini is like uh, unlike the folks who are writing the main brand titles, there's a you know there's a freedom to also being able to be the sort of the one on the side who's criticizing mm -hmm. right who gets to point out the flaws yeah and who doesn't have to also like i don't have to tell the stories of the main brand uh characters and i don't have to carry the the burden of what heroic means you know uh where you're where and where every choice is potentially sort of put under a microscope right so that even like just understandable human choices suddenly become like so-and-so would never do that or so-and-so would never do that, you know? Uh, and so I, you know, in many ways, I feel like I have a much easier job than the folks who are carrying the big titles, um, you know? And, uh, and I like this, I like this, uh, this, like there's a, a thing in, uh, I remember it was in, um, what was the zombie movie with uh, World War Z mm -hmm. with Brad Pitt, mm -hmm. right? Uh, maybe it was in the book as well. I don't remember the book quite as well, but there's a little part where uh, when he visits Israel, there's a guy he's with who says like, uh, they say, how did you figure out the zombie issue, blah, blah, blah. And he says, we have a, a way of running our, our, our office or our government, whatever, which is like, if there's 10 men in the room and nine agree, one person has to be the person to suggest the impossible or to, or to, to poke holes. And that's his job is the one who pokes holes and um and the idea is like and in in that world war z movie world that's the person who said i know it's impossible but what if it's zombies and yeah. that they got the leg up on the zombie plague because of that and i really feel like my role in some ways is that hole poker yeah you know uh and i get to say like well what about the visible mutants how come they don't get anything mm -hmm. um what is the Morlock's life like when Storm and the others aren't there? They have lives, don't they? They have their own stories, don't they? And uh, and I like that. I like being in that place. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think like heading into Sabretooth, it was clear that the character situation offered, you know, a glaring opportunity to investigate incarceration um, yes. and how and why systems dole out punishments. I don't think, I won't pretend to have had the clarity on how those questions could be served, but <laughs> right, like I knew it, it right. felt wrong. You know, it felt yes. like this is this is horrible. Like Professor X is, the, and and it's it's one of those things where it's and it, you've done this balance very nicely. Where Sabretooth is horrible too, yes. <laughs> and we do not. Right. There's there's like there was a moment I forget. It's like the second or third issue where you kind of get into some of Sabretooth's psychology and some of his history. And there's a moment where it's like, oh, are we leaning empathy? Are we leaning uh, reformation? And you you take it back, and you're like, no, yeah. no, no. This character has still done. He's terrible. He's the worst. Yeah. He's absolutely like, the worst. And it's okay to think that, and that's what we're gonna keep <laughs> yes. thinking. But at the yes. same time, the punishment was unjust, right? Because yes. the especially too is like the way you do the pit, the way you kind of imagine it. Sabretooth mm -hmm. has sort of agency. His will sort of overtakes this Krakoan pit, which is a total mystery to us until this book. And he right. kind of gets to live out like fantasies. And it almost sounds like, yes. oh, like, well, if you get to live in this infinite jest dream world, like maybe that's not so bad. But that wasn't the pitch even. <laughs> the pitch was right. you're going to be immobile, unable to that's do right. anything and aware of it forever. That is torture. Um, so anyway, big picture, like you have a chance to look at that, look at what's wrong with it, look at the Quiet Council and poke holes like you're saying. Yeah. What was most important to you in exploring the facet of like, you know, we're building a society and penal systems are going to be a part of it. But then we have Professor X saying, well, we'll have no prisons, but here's a right. prison anyway. Like, how did you like what was most important to you to kind of try to communicate there? Well, I think the biggest thing for me was that it is uh, it's or one of the biggest things was it was to say basically like um, it's impossible. You can't. You can't um, claim a sort a set of ideals and live a different set of ideals, right? Like that's and then on um, you know obviously maybe in ways that are incredibly obvious. I'm speaking about uh, since I'm an American, uh, yeah. 
uh, I'm speaking about the U.S. and our, you know, the age-old thing. We are the nation of independence and freedom and personal uh, independence and all the rest. And then you say, but if you do go to prison, you will become slave labor. And private prisons and public prisons will profit from your labor. You will make three cents a day and they will sell what you make for five bucks. And who keeps that money? The state doesn't even keep that money. It goes to some private entity who runs that prison. And you say, like, so uh, what is this, the part about freedom and about uh, fairness under law and all that kind of stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so it felt very uh, natural for me to say, like, I know all the all the ways, like, at the beginning of Hoxbox or during Hoxbox, it felt to me like I love, you know, it, I mean, I'm hardly saying anything new, is a revolutionary sort of run, right? Like, and a great way, I really appreciated the way it forced us out of the old, like mutants are always the hunted and all the rest. Now it's sort of like, okay, now you have power. Now you have an issue. What are you going to do with it? And, but of course, like the hard part about anything is like then what they did with it, at least in this instance, if not any others, that moment when Professor X threw him in the pit, like if he had just even said, um, you will be kept in the pit. We will basically shut down your brainstem. You will be in a coma forever. I wouldn't have a story. Mm. You know, like mm-hmm. I wouldn't have written it. I wouldn't have pitched it because it would have sort of been like, uh, okay, I mean, that's not good, but I guess whatever, you know. Um, but when it was specifically like, you'll be down there and you will be aware and you will never be able to be free. I was like, oh, that's, you mean to torture him. Right. That's right. the whole point, right? And that, uh, and by comparison, it's like, um, I mean, when we use, you read stories about people in solitary confinement for 20 years, right? In solitary. Now I'm talking about in prison. I'm talking about in solitary, in prison yeah. for 20 or more years. Occasionally those men make it out and their stories are fascinating, but those people have been tortured for 20 years right because uh, solitary confinement is a form of torture it's not a it's not a penalty like nobody did anything where you say okay for 20 years you have to sit alone mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean me and uh, my wife our kids we would do timeouts <laughs> yeah sure. you know what i mean but that's five minutes yeah and five minutes to a kid is an eternity yeah yeah so 20 years that is a state saying i'm going to punish you and then when you just when you read into who they put into that kind of solitary it's so often people who were pushing for like uh prisoner prison reform people who were standing up against corrupt systems it's never like somebody like oh they stabbed two people yeah right for 20 years never it's right always people who had a, a a revolutionary underpinning to whatever they did along with being criminals i'm not uh, uh setting aside the crime part but that kind of time is that it's making so, a point, right? It's, it's like, making a point. You know, that's you're right. making a, a message here. Like if you if you do this, right. right? Here's here's yes. the torture that awaits. Um, and we are also separating you from a population who you might turn into revolutionaries, right? Yeah. Like uh, if you're starting to show that, we put you in here. Now most of these kids who come in who don't necessarily have this awareness or this knowledge, if you're there and you're talking to them every day, I mean, uh, autobiography of Malcolm X is a perfect example, right? Like he came in. A crook, a thug, a hustler, all the rest. And he left one of the great revolutionary leaders of the 20th century because another prisoner started talking to him. An older prisoner with awareness started talking to him. And nothing scares an institution or a system more than the idea. I don't know if you watched Andor on uh Yeah, on, it's, uh, so, it's so shockingly good. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. And it's, it's telling a very similar story, mm-hmm. you know. Um, it's a it's a surprising companion piece in a way. Yes, um, that I when is. I started it, I did not anticipate. Yeah, it's been glorious. I mean, I can't. I, I have to say, like, I mean, obviously, people have different things they love or whatever. But for me, it's like the best Star Wars thing in a decade. Mm. And I've yeah. loved lots of Star Wars stuff. I've loved. I love the Mandalorian. Uh, I love this and that thing. But as a and I admit, not a thorough Star Wars sure reader viewer or whatever. But for me, I was just like, oh, this is my, this is, here's my cup of tea. Thank you very right, much. Right, Tony Gilroy. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it certainly has the most to say. Um, yes. It, yes. Whereas, you know, something like Mandalorian, which I enjoy greatly is, is a bit more like, 
hey, remember Boba Fett? <laughs> that armor was cool. Yes. What if we did that again? Yes. Um, and that was, and that's beautiful too. And right? It's fun. Uh, they're doing yeah. different things. But this thing, I really, every episode, I'm like, oh, they did it. They went to it. They talked about it. And they're telling a story with ramping drama. It's not just people lecturing anybody. Right. Right, right. You know. No, it's it's cool stuff. Um, so with with the pit and and sort of this commentary on on prison and the injustice, it is fascinating because in retrospect, it's like if if they if the Quiet Council had just like executed Sabretooth, like that wouldn't have been good. <laughs> like I'm right. generally opposed, but it would have created far fewer problems. Absolutely. Um, and and like you said, like there's probably not. A lot, like I don't know. Then the story is like maybe word, like somehow word sneaks out, and now there's like uh, a martyrdom or something, and and, yeah. and it becomes sort of a philosophical. I think you described it as like a philosophical virus, but it's like now Sabretooth is around, and he gets to create that. Um, yes. He gets to set the stage for rebellion without doing anything, which is his bread and butter, which is violence, um, yes. which I think is kind of fascinating. Like the because the thing he says when he goes in the pit is like. I'm going to kill you, Professor X. I'm going to kill your whole line. And yes. and in the moment, I hear that as, well, that's typical Sabretooth, right? That's what he does. Right. He, he violently right. attacks everything. Um, but the way he actually strikes, and I think he's kind of underrated as a schemer in some ways yes. through our Marvel history. Yeah, is like the way he strikes is like, I'm just going to infect everyone with the truth <laughs> of yes. what happened here and what the pit is. And mm-hmm. that is going to damage Professor X's reputation. You know, it's funny. Professor X is this character with such an outsized presence. As readers, I think, and certainly as readers who are, are deeply familiar with X-Men, we often take for granted that we know Professor X is a jerk. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like we all know that, right? We, yes. We've immortalized the Kitty Pride Professor Xavier is a jerk. The nation of Krakoa holds him up as a savior, right? The nation yes. of Krakoa is, he is, you know, the god figure the, just That's next right. to Magneto. Um, he's due for a fall. Yes. I think it's coming. I don't want you to spoil anything, but like, yeah. is that part of what you're getting at here with Sabretooth is like, this guy has to come down. And and how how do you think Sabretooth kind of plays a role in that? Well, I certainly think the, like, uh, I read when I was reading it uh, the first time, uh, Sabretooth's threat as exactly that, as bluff uh, and bluster, you know, because he's not going to kill Legion, right? Right. So what else is he going to do? And so then when I pitched it, and I was going back and I was looking at it, I was, I realized like, you know, I, as, as you say, to the point about Sabretooth, like he is essentially just, a, he's a super powered CIA operative, right? And the CIA has a very long history of toppling governments in other countries. Uh, just uh, Iran, Central and South America, like our country, we do it. The CIA does that, yeah. right? Uh what well, you've got in here, like the what is it, the Congress for Cultural Freedoms? You know, just some of yes. those, you know, the way like jazz music and just popping music, like that was stuff that I that was new to me, and I was like, what? Yeah, <laughs> like okay, right, exactly, and yeah. So and we do, and the, and it does it in lots of different ways, right? And so then I started thinking, like, well, essentially, Sabretooth would be like a high level CIA op. He would know that you can destroy a nation with. Uh, a forward battle if you have that kind of power but if you don't you can find a way you can sneak in and destroy a nation yeah right and so then i realized like, okay what i want to set up is how Sabretooth. that's not his plan initially but once those five other mutants come come down and once he starts to see that this weird thing is happening where like so uh, one of the things that kind of came up sometime is like what was doug's plan you know uh like what was he planning or doing and mm-hmm. i wanted for me the idea was that doug and krakoa were kind right by giving him this ability to sort of live in his mind and all the rest but the problem is sometimes kindness gets you killed right and so doug meant well he thought we're doing a kindness to you because professor x and the quiet council were too harsh but a dude like Sabretooth doesn't just say thanks very much i appreciate the little bit you gave me he says Oh, you open that door this much? Let mm-hmm. me crack it wide open. Right? Mm-hmm. That's just what he does. And so um, Sabretooth essentially pushes things much farther than Doug or Krakoa could have ever imagined, was my feeling. right? And it's not that they're stupid. It's just that they're good. right? And they can't imagine a sort of conniving intelligence the level of Sabretooth. Right. That you just, and against a person like that, it's like... Um, um, 
you know, that Dahmer series that recently happened on top yeah. of all the systematic racism and all the rest, there's also a way that for, I think, for for many people, it's also the idea, you're telling me he's cannibalizing people and eating them in his home? Come on, that doesn't happen, mm. right? Like, there's you just can't fathom it. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then you add in insult to injury that, like, then the neighbor's trying to tell you it's happening and you have all these, like, cops and all these kinds of people and, like, it's just not true. He just he's cooking stinky food because mm. they they won't hear it, and so yeah. that was my feeling with that. Um, and uh, and so I guess in a way, what, the way I would put it forth is like I certainly feel I am laying at least some of the I'm chipping away in my little way at some of the latest foundation for Professor X. Yeah, right. Certainly, Sabretooth could never in a one-on-one way take down Xavier. Um, so my feeling was, my hope is that it will look like a little bit longer term plan. And as Exiles moves forward, you'll see the ways that perhaps um, his influence might spread even more. Um, and that maybe that will culminate in something that sort of forces the hand of Krakoa, yeah, in a sense, to deal with it. And then maybe... By dealing with it, Krakoa will even still make it only worse. Right, right, right. Sure, sure. No, that's that makes sense. Thinking. It is. It is funny to hear you describe sort of the Doug role in this story, um, because I, I actually kind of that was one I hadn't really interrogated, um, pun intended. Because like so far, I feel like there's a there's an appetite right now, especially amongst the the House of X and Powers Faithful, where it's like they really want Doug to have a secret plan, right? Like like right. the big Inferno drop in in Hickman's final book is. Um, Doug and Krakoa and Warlock are like the third player in all of yes, this, right? They yes. know everything and they're kind of like actually kind of dictating what happens. But then the irony of it is, yeah, every time Doug gets a chance to do something with Sabretooth, with Moira in in the end of Inferno, he does the kind thing. <laughs> like that's kind of who yes. this character is. And it yes. generally does not benefit him. Um, yes. it, it doesn't, people are like, what was the thinking? Like, what was the scheme? And it's like, I, I think he was just trying to be nice. <laughs> That's what he does. I, well, you know, it's, I think the other thing is like X-Men comics in particular, but maybe super superhero comics as a whole mm-hmm. are kind of predicated in a weird way. I would say are predicated on the idea that pure goodness isn't real. Mm. Right, like people, but X Men in particular, that universe, people are always scheming. There's always a secret plan. There's always a this and this, right? Which I love, right? Yeah. It's it's soap opera, right? But um, so I do think the thing that kind of maybe sometimes flummoxes people the most is that there's just a genuinely good person who sometimes is punished for their goodness, right? Like, and punished not in a huge way, but just in a sort of way like. You know, to my mind, like at the end of the 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 first mini, my thing was like it's just so heartbreaking for Doug and Krakoa, mm-hmm. uh, and that like the seed that he gives to Necra is is a I guess I don't want to say too much, but is like a thing he's it's it's a thing for. Uh, that's meant to deal with Sabretooth in a certain way that I don't want to reveal yet. Yeah, right. right. Um, but it's also maybe, for lack of a better term, as close as Doug might come to revenge. Mm. I right. mean, it is. I th- if I remember correctly, it took the form of like a skull. Was, it's wasn't a little it skull. Like, it's, yeah. Yes. Which is it's dark a, it's, for Doug. And, yes. And it's, ba- I mean, there's a real uh, uh, plant that has those, that's what they're, they that's what their seeds look oh, like right interesting yeah yeah so i, I yeah. definitely based it on a real uh plant um but the that just looked so cool you know <laughs> yeah um, right but i felt like it would also be because doug had essentially been played by Sabretooth, him saying like plant this when you reach him uh, you know uh, plant this in the soil when you reach it when you find him and then you know, we get to see, does Doug have a ugly side? Mm. Yeah. Or just even like, or for a person like Doug, what would, what would revenge or justice look like? You know what I mean? It wouldn't look like it does for like 
I don't know, Wolverine or Professor X or Magneto, it's right. still going to be... I, I, the one thing I can say is I think it's in its own way, it's still a very Doug plan. Okay. I'm excited to see this develop. Yeah. yeah. No, I, and that was... Yeah. I had forgotten he gave Necra that seed until I reread right. it for this interview. And then I was like, oh, okay, that's coming, right? Like, that's that's right. something we've, we've planted. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> one thing one thing I've enjoyed here in, in Sabretooth and in Exiles is, like, how naturally your writing style gravitates toward the use of data pages. Um, mm-hmm. These interstitial informational blocks where you get to weave in elements of American history. Um, that's something that struck me about like Devil and Silver, for example, where there's like a substantial break to explore the life of Vincent Van Gogh. Like there's like yes. a big chunk, right? It's like history of Van Gogh yes. stuff. One of the exciting things about House and Powers is there's this feeling that these pages can be anything. And I think it has mm-hmm. opened up expectations for certainly Marvel Comics. Um, how how interesting did you find that as an opportunity taken on this gig? And like, how interested are you in exploring sort of the potential of those pages? Because there's that, like, they can be anything. They can be whatever you yes. want. Yes. Well, so the big thing, so the first instinct with the data pages, uh, when I was coming with the first mini, was was to just treat it like a chance to write some prose, right? Uh, and maybe... I would say uh, you would go, here's the backstory, here's Necra's, here's how she tells the story of her life, or mm-hmm. here's Oya and the recurring nightmare she has about when she burned up her village, or whatever, you know, like that kind of yeah. thing, um, which it would be fine, right? Uh, but I felt like, but they can read the comics for all that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the mm-hmm. comics exist. And then you could do something closer to like what uh, Hickman does with those where they are really much more like graphic design pages and they're really pretty beautiful to see and then also you get to see the my favorite uh, versions of his data pages are the ones where he'll cover 2000 years in just then this happened then the timeline, then the, yeah. the Nimrod faction started a family and right. then the, the you know and you just and the, the the fun of it is you have room to you can when it works at its best you fill in all this story yeah. that you know you couldn't have in the comic, right? Yeah, it's funny. Um, it's like the it's like the Hemingway like forward story, but like yes. like the comics version of it. Where but it's the like, comics version, you know, the Nimrod faction started a family. It's only five words, but it's an incredible yes. story that I want to know everything about. You know, right? Yeah, right. And I and I like it also because it it even like I think there's easily one like a. Um, uh, Here's the story of what happened when um, when the brood became um, uh, what's his name's uh, uh, came under the the, the brood. I can't. Believe, yeah, I'm blanking on. Yeah, that's a, exactly. Yeah. Um, when he when he ate the egg. Yes, brood. Yeah, yeah. Brood, and he ate the egg, and he took over the the he took them over, and uh, and then that was just kind of a side thing, that's you know, like a there. data page later. Yeah. Right. Like they mentioned it just quickly, and I could easily see a twelve-issue mini. Right. That was just all about the havoc that came from that decision. Sure. And at least for me, I really enjoy that kind of thing as well. But um, in the case of, of, I guess I would say in the case of my data pages, what I also realized was because I'm not writing a main, a mainline title, I also don't have that leeway. Right, I can't say so and so. I can't say uh, these are the years when uh, Wolverine and Storm became a couple and they traveled the galaxy, and he was her right hand man, right, doing murders on her behalf. Blah blah. blah. I can't say that because they're gonna say like, well, we're not writing that, and yeah, you know, kind of thing. So that's when I kind of said like, well, what could I? Maybe I could use these pages for for this historical stuff right and that i i always love you know uh, um i mean i just always love learning about the wildness of history uh and feeling like comics in a to my mind sometimes in a strange way divorces itself from real life from real history mm-hmm. to the detriment of the reader mm. i would say i mean i know alan moore gets a ton of crap uh, for uh, his more recent years, decades of of shitting on, uh, uh, sorry, crapping on. I don't want to mess up your 
the oh we're far enough cursing in. too much okay <laughs> okay um uh, uh of crapping on like i remember he got in trouble a little while back because he said something about like people who read batman are people who love fascists or something like that yeah right, right. the whole the whole superhero tradition to him is yes yes the you know, the beginnings of fascist propaganda. Right. Like, yeah. But I, I feel like if you read Watchmen, I don't see how you could disagree with him. Right. Right. And the point I felt like, number one, he knows how to give good copy. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So people will pay attention. He, he loves to be a provocateur. That's obvious. Right. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but the whole point of Watchmen was, uh, the superhero as a construct is the foot soldier of fascism. That's mm-hmm. the whole point of that comic. And then it is weird when people are like, I love Watchmen. It's such a cool superhero story. And you right. go, yeah, yeah. Mm. I mean, it is, but also. Yeah. It is like you know, it is it's the not, deconstruction <laughs> textbook, right? Yeah. Like I mean, yeah. Dr. Manhattan, it's not, Dr. Manhattan is not cool. Uh, he is the truly indifferent God. And all the rest, you know, like, uh, and that should be scary, I think. Not yeah, yeah. Like, oh, I love it if he would fight Superman or something like that. Uh, like that, to my mind, is not the place it's supposed to go. So, yeah. um, so uh, that is all to say that I think uh, sometimes superhero comics essentially make use of current events, but then divorce it from the truths of the real world in a way that allows you to enjoy the worst of what they're writing about without having to think about what the worst means mm. you know mm-hmm. um uh so for instance like i grew up on the two the two musics i grew up loving the most are hip-hop and heavy metal i a kid of the 80s hip-hop was beginning thrash metal was going sure i love that stuff right uh and one of the things though that was weird and troubling was how much nazi iconography mm thrash metal people enjoyed the uh, iron cross in particular like not the the swastika right because that was too clearly nazi stuff yeah yeah you had to hide it but yeah but the iron cross was on lots of stuff the 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 german helmet i'm just thinking about like slayer made a lot of out of that kind of stuff like there was a fetishization of a lot of the costuming right but divorced from any conversation about like, wait, are you saying you like Nazis? Because of course they'd be like, no, I don't. But over time, you start to say like, it's just just an iron cross. It doesn't mean anything. Mm. And that to me is very similar to like the, you know, all the Pepe the Frog, like it's just a racist joke. It doesn't mean I'm racist. Mm. It's just a racist meme, doesn't mean I'm racist. But it is opening a sort of door that allows for that and of course the and, and the great protection is like you can't take a joke sure or it just looks cool or whatever you know yeah. and so for me the the that's a long way to say i started wanting to use the history version of the data pages as um as a way to just sort of say you can't separate superhero comics from the real world if you're talking about real world things yeah uh and put me, but like there was a point where I was, tr- I wanted to even see, could we do graphics? But I couldn't figure out how to make it work. And in a way it was um, like, it wasn't telling story. It was more like just, here's a picture of like the kind of uh, binding they used in prisons in Louisiana in 1940, mm. blah, blah, blah. And, and it was, I thought it, I personally, I thought it was super interesting, but it did less work. Yeah. Yeah, that's, you can't communicate as much, maybe. Pages. That's interesting. Well, yeah. and I think that's super fascinating. Like, you're talking about, you know, you have this history in there so that the the events and their connections are not ahistorical, which does feel yes. increasingly important. I mean, whether we're talking comics or just the world, <laughs> right? Yes. Like, the lessons of history are increasingly valuable and, and like, increasingly scary to people because yes. they they can upend, you know, and obviously, like, there's so much right now in America specifically about like, well, we can't teach that history because right. that counters <laughs> the messaging, you know, we're trying to propagate here. Um, with with the ahistorical nature of comics, you know, I think the thing that it connects to is too, specifically with X-Men, we talk so much about the mutant metaphor and there's so much conversation around, is it effective? When is it effective, et cetera? When is it too on the nose, right? And trying to equate right. things and that becomes a problem. I would think one thing that, 
this history does is it actually integrates very nicely into the mutant metaphor where then, okay, we have a mutant fictional prison, right? The pit is a pretend place. We don't actually need to worry about it. But now we make that mutant metaphor connection to the way American prisons actually work for profit, right? Or like, you know, like I've I've watched the documentary Ava DuVernay's 13th, right? If you watch that, you can just instantly see, okay, there's this connective tissue it's really effective. It's really effective. Um, and like I said, there's there's elements in here, you know, like the Congress for Cultural Freedoms, um, Nanny of the Maroons. You know, there's things that I, it's like history that I can now turn and go learn about that I didn't know about. Uh, right. And I love that. I, I love yeah. that stuff in media. Like that's always. I agree. Eat it right up. I mean, yeah. I, I don't think it's a mistake. You know, Watchmen and uh, the Tulsa, Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. Uh, all that stuff. Like, um, uh, if it, if they hadn't, like it was such a smart move for them to make that the sort of organizing principle of the show, uh, because like in a way it number one like you say like it 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 almost elevated or like made more concrete and real all the superhero stuff that was then going on, mm-hmm. right? Because you saw the ways these things were related, and then also yeah, it it turned it turned what was still going to be a wonderful show into an actual conversation in the current, in the zeitgeist, right? Yeah, right. Like, um, uh, I can't think, you know, how many pieces were there? Like, did you know about the Tulsa bombing? Did you know about the Tulsa bombing? And then if you were talking to not all black people, but many black people say, I did know about the Tulsa bombing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you say, but then there were white people, Latinos, Asian, whatever. They didn't know about that. And then the fun thing to me is not to say like, and that's the end of it, is instead to say like, like I enjoyed the terror season two in part because uh, it was about the Japanese internment camps. Mm-hmm. And as much as it was a superhero, I mean, a supernatural stories, ghosts and all this stuff, the bigger thing was just look what was done to American citizens. Yeah. In World yeah. War II, uh, who had done nothing except be born Japanese American. And that gets to be the thing that you also know happened. You know, so I'm a big fan of that as a, as a trend in popular culture specifically. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, I think there's been, I mean, in the, it's everywhere, but in the comic space, you know, George Takai has um, yep. has a graphic novel that's about the, the internment caps. And it's, it is one of those things where it just puts a personal lens on like, this stuff happened, Matt. Like, you know, and it's yes. like, it's like, look at it, look at it and, and feel what that means. Um, so Sabertooth number one was sort of throwing down the gauntlet on prison i think in in, thematically right but then it's also like i don't want to undersell like it's really fun (laughs) like escape adventure comic yeah yeah yeah, right like there's a lot of there's a lot of fantasy like and there's moments too where you're just having a ball with like x-men stuff like sabertooth leading the star jammers (laughs) right yeah i was i really loved that (laughs) yeah like that's just super fun um that was a blast to see what uh, so we got that was kind of the gauntlet on prison but now we're out right sabertooth busts out the exiles get out they're on a mission hunting for him sabertooth gets immediately apprehended by by orcas i had to close it up i had to close it up quick it was funny yeah Yeah. Um, (laughs) so sabertooth and the exiles number one it, it the first issue to me it felt like it was setting the stage for obviously we're dealing with orcas now and we're mm-hmm. dealing with their crimes in in right. frankly more vivid uh, horrific detail yes. scene yes i think yes. um it felt like we're exploring kind of and especially with the story of the history of gynecology you know going back to the history mm-hmm. and kind of the abuses there on abuses on the marginalized is that the thematic center of where exiles is going or is it just one facet is it bigger than that that's certainly one big part of I would say is sort of like uh, the dirt that is done in the shadows kind of thing to the people who are, again, like so in the beginning of the first issue, um, uh, Mole says in his summary, like uh, um, the, what happens to the people who are left out of the dream, they get the nightmare. And I wanted to tie it even more specifically, you'll see through issue by issue, we are also getting into like medical racism and medical uh medical apartheid like uh um the the idea of like um like what abuse so to differentiate it from the prison sort of metaphor of the first one i didn't want it to just be like now here's where private prisons are just the same as are just as bad as the other one right uh it was more to say like the private prisons you'll see uh at the end of Sabretooth, the first mini we listed that there were five uh Orcas prisons, one was lost, and then there's five left. Um, so 
I can promise, like one is already destroyed at the end of one, I think, right? Uh, or uh, they're, or rather they're entering the, uh, yeah, the first one was destroyed. It was on um, that floating island and it all yes. It yes. blows up. I yeah. apologize. <laughs> it blows I'm just up putting all the, all the things together. So yeah. we'll, so we'll be kind of moving through, like that's our, we're kind of hopping through Orcus's private prison. Okay. A universe, but it's a chance to talk about, like, like you say, like the things that are done in particular to um, the kind of mutants who, who don't get looked at, the, uh, and certainly uh, the kind of people who, who don't get, who don't get, uh, who don't get looked at, who aren't, who, who aren't shown concern, and then um, in this sphere, talking maybe more particularly about, like, for lack of better terms, I'm just going to say care or health right like yeah. what are the ways those are different sets of abuses mm. that exist oh okay um, and uh and you know and uh in the large but this, so that's one set of it but the other larger set of, sort of thing is like um if you don't if no one is looking out for those mutants who are more easily cast aside like if uh the marauders aren't i mean the marauders can't save everyone mm-hmm. right uh, mm-hmm. They can't be everywhere, um, but if a godlike nation, if a nation of godlike mutants, aren't saving everyone, then it's possible you leave room for the devil to come take your place. I guess uh, that's the way I would put it. That's super interesting. Yeah, and it is. I mean, I think it's super fascinating to explore in this era because there's kind of been like a vibe that, like, well, they made Krakow available. So you should be on Krakoa, right? If you're yeah. if you're potentially um, in danger, why aren't yes. you on Krakoa? And like, there's almost like a judgment that you can yeah. feel coming from Krakoa in terms of like, well, we gave you the chance, and right. and I think this has the chance to explore like, well, it's not that easy for everyone. That's um, right. You can't. Right. And I mean, it's I guess it's the thing where then the mutant metaphor extends to like people are like, oh, you live in a state with horrible laws, move, and it's like like that's the move? easiest thing in the world. Yeah, yeah, right. right? And it becomes that thing, which which just does not work. Um, okay, I could talk to you about this for like three hours, but my wife will kill me because we got to go see Black Panther today. And uh... got to do it. <laughs> I hope you enjoy it. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, the kids, my kids, want to see it for sure. Uh, yeah, we'll see if we can see it this weekend. Yeah, no, I'm excited too. It should be it should be an interesting one. It's like a small miracle if it's good, um, and I, I hope that it is. I've yes. got I've got high high hopes. Um, yes, right. I did want to I did want to touch though before I let you go. Not too long ago, you announced a Devil and Silver adaptation in the works at AMC, yes. which is super exciting. I love this novel. People should check it out if you haven't. Um, I guess the question is, how's that going? And kind of how'd you get connected with Chris Cantwell, who's you know another name comics folks will know from yes, know, a really sure good Iron, Iron Man, Man run, yeah. and, uh, but also Halt and Catch Fire, which is like one yep. of the coolest of shows course. the last several years. How'd, how'd that all get and set up? And he's got up? a new Star Trek comic. Oh, heck yeah. All right, cool. Yeah. So you should check it out. Yeah. So how's how's Devil and Silver progressing? How's it moving? It's great, actually. Like uh, part of the reason I asked if we could speak in the morning. Uh, in about an hour, we start. We go back into the room. We're doing a virtual room. We're on day today's day seventeen of the, okay. of the writers' room. Um, yeah. And uh, we'll go into the new year. It's a. Uh, uh, it'll be a six episode like ser- mini kind of series. So six episodes, and it's done. We tell the whole story in that time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a version of the book, but it's um, the fun of it is like I told I wrote the book. The book is the book. I love the book uh, very much. And then the show isn't doesn't have to just be another version of the book. Sure, and it right. can't be. the The fun of the book is we get to do lots of other stuff, uh, still within the confines of the same general story, right? A person un- improperly thrown into a uh, an institution and discovering that there's something malevolent there and then what does he do with the patients and staff and how do they all sort of fight against this mm-hmm. malevolent force mm-hmm. um, the fun of doing it as a show you get to more malevolence uh, okay. there's yeah. uh, more room for that kind of thing so I think it'll be very thoughtful but also fun um, and my hope is we'll be shooting it next summer like we'll do the writers' room up until, in toward the end of January, I think. Then maybe if things go well, you know, you never know until it's on. Uh, start pre-production and then maybe be actually shooting this late spring or early summer. Um, 
And, uh, and if that was the case, I'd, I'd be an incredibly happy man. Cool. Cool. No, yeah. fingers crossed on that one. So you mentioned it's kind of like an anthology approach. Um, yeah. I've seen it discussed as, does that mean different character focuses? Does it mean we're going to other hospitals? Like, how do you kind of see that bouncing? No. So if it were, so this one is, uh, the story of a hospital that gets to be also a conversation about the larger healthcare system in the United States. Yeah. Um, uh, if it moves forward, because it might not, you know, like uh, maybe everybody hates the show. Maybe nobody watches the show. I maybe it's maybe it's amazing, and the the powers that and be. Believe me, yeah, who knows? Believe me, that is what I think it'll be. Yeah, but uh, you know, you got a, a, a false modesty and all the rest. You gotta <laughs> sure. Um, but uh, but if it goes well, like my uh, sort of my pitch to them was just essentially like every system has a devil. Okay. So each so it wouldn't be each year is a different hospital. It would essentially be each oh. year might be a different system. Interesting. Yeah. Different. And in that way. Yeah. Exactly. And you know, and the the that way you don't feel like people go like I saw one. We gonna do it now? Is it? It's a hospital in you know Kansas. Okay, but it's still a ho- you know like How you different can't is it? That. Yeah. 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 But but uh, I think the uh, if 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 they if it if if that idea sort of connects with people and all the rest and we do a good job with this first season, my feeling is like there's so many, I mean, it, you know, just look, honestly, you could do a whole devil in, uh, a devil in Twitter six yeah. episode season of just uh, Musk coming in, like <laughs> yeah, what right. was before and then here comes Musk and the absolute collapse that seems to be underway. Yeah. And what would it be like to be in there, to be like a programmer in there? You were there before it started. Uh, whatever problems were already there, now here comes this thing that just just decides to just kick everything over. I do not envy the the little guys, you know, yeah. the, the, the day-to-day folks trying to make it work and right that's, now. I mean, I think in a way, like if the, if the anthology series moves forward, in a way that would be the heart of it would be like, the horror of being the little guy in a system that is killing you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that there's so many systems we have that I feel like we could get at least five, six seasons out of that. That's super cool. That's super cool. Well, uh, high hopes. I I hope it, I hope it works out for you. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm eager to see it. And then the final thing I want to give you a chance to promote is you got lone women coming out in March. Yeah, that's your new book. Um, yes. So we've got we got devils and saber tooth in the pit. We got devils and silver in all systems. Is there a devil and <laughs> yes. lone women? We got a, we got a third a uh, trilogy. I wouldn't say devil, but there's something in it. Uh, so the story is about uh, uh, women homesteaders in 1915 Montana, um, and in particular, it's about a black woman homesteader from California mm-hmm. who runs who flees to Montana uh, to escape something. Terrible in her past, as you know, the saying goes. She gets there. There are a few other lone women, and there's something else out there too. Sure. So, that's the way I would I, I would watch talk the about that. check out the trailer on Victor's Twitter or, or wherever yeah, else you can find it because going. there's a there's a big hint about yeah. what that something <laughs> <Yes>. might be. <laughs> yes. All right. Very cool. Um, Victor, this is a pleasure as always. Uh, it was a blast talking to you. I'm really enjoying the work. I'm looking forward to what comes next. Anything else that you want to... Oh, we didn't mention... I didn't mention Eve. Children of the Moon is out right now. Um, That's true. It is the yes. sequel to uh, to Eve, the the first. Mm-hmm. So there's a five-issue mini that came out from Boom, and Children of the Moon is out now. It's a really fun series. Uh, it's a bit different than, than I think a lot of the work you've done. Um, it's a little sure. sort of younger... You know, it's a younger cast, and it's yes. very much focused on sort of a post-apocalyptic, you know, post-climate change, essentially, uh, version of the world. And it's it's interesting and... On one hand, it's depressing because it's reflecting reality. On the other hand, it yeah. is very optimistic, I think. Um, and, well, and yeah, hopeful. I mean, uh, I, I, I certainly, uh, as per this last election as well, I have no hope in the older generations, but I have a great deal of hope in the younger generations. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, Gen Z, I love you dearly uh, for what you did this time. And um, uh, and I that so it was like a love letter to the, also because we have two kids, nine and eleven, and I see yeah. in them all these all this hope and and uh, possibility. You know, it's a cliche almost to say, but like if anybody's going to save the world, it's not going to be people my age. It's going to be them. Yeah. And I so I wanted to write a, a story that was about like how amazing they are, 
in the face of all the the enormous dumpster of garbage we've left for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and uh, they're amazing. And I think I so that's the heart of that comic is really that is to sort of honor and sort of applaud that that spirit. Yeah, very cool. No, it's a good one. People should check it out. Um, okay, anything else that you want to get a chance to, to no, mention that we didn't That's a lot. I appreciate <laughs> okay. it. That's a lot. Okay, cool, cool. Final note. We had a listener in the, the Comic Herald YouTube live stream last night who, honestly, it's not really even a question so much as just like putting you on notice of a prediction that they yeah. think your third mini is going to be called Sabretooth and the Expats. That they're going <laughs> to, it's going to be a play on Expats with the big X, which I, I, I thought it. was pretty clever. I enjoyed that. Yes, one. I yeah. love that. I love that. We, we will see. <laughs> we will see. Perfect. Well, Victor, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining. And uh, uh, we'll talk to you again. Yeah. All right. I'll see you.